hear me now. Oh, now we go. Here we go. We good? Yeah, my mic is on now. So, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, uh, it's going to be a good time. We're going to pray and dive right into it and see what God has to offer. So, Father, we, uh, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your blessing. God, we thank you for life itself. God, I ask you to touch this time. Lord, touch us, touch our ears, touch our hearts. God, touch everyone that is speaking, because it's not only me, God. It's your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you for this time. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you get the word baptism, what does that, what does that resonate to you? When, when you see just baptism, what does it mean? Does it mean just water? Does it mean like a, a holiness to it? Does it mean to separate? Does it mean to... To set apart, like the word holy means. I mean, is there a, when it comes to your mind, what does it think? Just getting, just baptized. You just get dunked underwater and it, it means now, do what? Brand new. Okay, that's a, that's a good word to use. Um, we, we find baptism uh, really very, very few times in the Old Testament. Very few. Um, we find a, a lot in the New Testament uh, just because of the, of what the the fulfillment of Jesus done, and so we get the word baptism, and it, in, in the Greek it's baptismo, and all its variations, and and so we we have an understanding. It literally means to be dipped or immersed. Uh, that's what the word baptism means. Now in the Old Testament we have a mikvah, and if you don't mind throwing that photo up there. And we will see an, an old mikvah that I took a picture of one time when I was in Israel. Uh, and I'll explain it a little bit. So this is the mikvah. Um, that's just a word for, it, it literally means to gather or an assembly of water. Um, a mikvah was a, it's, it's a, literally a pool of water that was collected by a running source. It was never a stagnant water. And that was very important, and, I, and we'll get into that later. Uh, you can go to the next photo, brother. There we go. And so you, you, you see here that the mikvah had literally two sides to it. And one, you come down on one side, and you would immerse yourself. And you'd be wearing like a ceremonial white uh, outfit of some sort. Um, or just kind of a, uh, a, a, a linen ephod of some type. And you would go down and you would immerse yourself and then you would come back up the other side. You would never, never come back up the same side you went in on. That's, that's a big thing. Um, why is that? Because you're ceremonial cleansing yourself uh, so you can present yourself to God. This is what the priests did daily before going into the temple. If you didn't, you were literally, you could be killed by God. This was a, this was a, a ritual. It had to be done. It just, it's the way it was. So in the mikvah, um, it was only used, the word mikvah was only used in the Old Testament only four times. The first one talks about in Genesis chapter 1, and verse 10 says, God, God called dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. So that gathering of water right there, that word literally means they were mikvah. They were gathered together. It was allowed the body of water to come together, and God said, mikvah. This is what this meant to be. And so they, they understood what mikvah, mikvah meant. Uh, you had Exodus chapter 7, you had Leviticus uh, 11, and you had Isaiah 22. You have these, and these are the only four times that it shows up in the Old Testament as mikvah. And so it, it literally means a gathering of water. And so, I, I can't read that there. It's a, uh, can you read that brother or no? Yeah. I'm, I'm not a good reader. Yeah, 
Yeah, there's some, there's, so the, the first word is probably uh, mikvaot. Messianic. Yeah, messianic tree. Is it tractate? Yeah, sure. Okay, and the mikvah. Mikvaot. details all the rules formulated in Second Temple times regarding ritual purification baths. These rules are based on the following conditions that made the mikvah ritually valid. It had to be connected to the ground. It had to contain a minimum of 40 Shiha of water. The water could not be drawn or con uh, conveyed by vessels from elsewhere, and it had to be spacious enough for one to immerse the entire body at once. In keeping with these basic conditions, the mikvah was usually rock cut with a rock, hon, or built roof. Broad, comfortable steps led from the entrance of the mikvah to its bottom and its walls were lined with hydraulic plaster to prevent water from seeping out. So the, the technical side of this, thank you very much. The technical side of this was really cool. Um, they would cut these things out of some kind of sandstone, limestone, whatever they're at in Israel or um, the place they were at, and they would take plaster and they would plaster the whole walls. Uh, you see plaster all over ancient Israel they used it and it made, I mean, it was, it was extremely smooth. I mean, it's impressive that they would write on this stuff and they would paint it and it would last thousands of years. And so, I mean, it, it is incredible to see um, just the engineering of these things by themselves. So they had very detailed rules. I mean, we understand the, the Old Testament in itself, especially when we come in Leviticus, that we see just God step by step laying out every little detail, especially of the tabernacle. Uh, and then we get into numbers and we get into uh, the understanding of, of why he does certain things, which is really, really cool. So we, we, we see the water purification, and this happened. Um, I should have brought some pictures of um, Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. So Qumran, basically Qumran was a place where um, the, these sect of people would go and they would just write. They would just write these scrolls over and over again. Uh, I, they, they, they're still finding scrolls today, which is amazing. Um, and so they would, they would do these scrolls, and these guys were probably the, they're literally on the north side, northwest side of the Dead Sea, and the access of water was only by rainwater, and that was really about it, because the Jordan River come down, but as soon as it hit the Dead Sea, I mean, it was, it was pure salt by then. The Dead Sea is 33% salt. Our ocean is only 3% salt. It's, it's, it's gnarly. Um, they'll tell you, don't, don't shave before you get in the water. Don't shave your legs, don't shave your face, because it burns. Um, and so I took that rule and, and I didn't shave. And you can literally walk out into the Dead Sea and it'll pick you up just like a chair. And you'll sit there. And there's people that's floating, I mean, hundreds of yards off this thing. Some people don't know that halfway across, it turns into Jordan. But Jordan now has the legal authority to come get you and bring you back and arrest you. Uh, so they, they have little signs there, hey, you know, try not to go over halfway because you're enjoying it this time because the Jordanian line runs straight up um, that that Dead Sea. So you have the water purification you have uh, that, that God gave them to in, in, in Numbers chapter 9 um, to Moses and Aaron. So we have the these water purifications. And so I had jumped into one of them and did my thing jump away. I guess it did. Let's go to Numbers 19. Let's go there right fast. No, you, you can turn it off. It's, it's good. Thank you. So Numbers 19. And did I highlight it? I did. I did. And so let's go to Numbers 19. Mm-hmm.
And so we see this water purification. And water, water is all through the Bible. It's kind of like fire. Um, it is a, is a purification process that, that the priests went through. And in 19, um, so, the, so the Lord spoke to uh, Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law which, which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel that they bring you an unblemished red heifer, in which uh, no defect and on no yoke has ever been placed. It means he's never worked the plow or been ridden or something like that. You shall give it to Eliezer the priest, and that shall be brought up outside the camp and be slaughtered in his presence. So next, Eliezer the priest shall take some of his blood with his finger and sprinkle his blood towards uh, the front of the tent of meetings seven times. There we get that number seven again. Then the heifer shall be burned in its sight um, it's hide in all its flesh and blood. Um, let's keep going. All right, the priest shall all right. The priest shall take red cedar wood and hyssop. All right, so red cedar wood. All right, so where did they get this? Because this wood right here was not around. Um, we get and read in. Oh man, is it? Kings? No, it's not Kings. Anyway, I'd have to take it back for a second to look. It talk, talks about the cedars of Lebanon. Okay, these cedars we have here in the States are not really cedars. They're what we call aromatic, aromatic cedars. They're small. They soak up a lot of water. They'll literally change the water table of some parts of, of the United States. They soak up that much water. Now, the cedars of Lebanon why they call them this is because they're massive they're big trees and so they had to go and get these cedars and they had to go up there and they would have to timber these things um and and, and the writings about solomon um when solomon would speak uh and, and people wanted to come and sit in his presence just to hear how he ruled his people it talks about it uh, in other writings not not the bible but outside writings and, and they would import these things by ship and ship all these exports and they would they would bring them all in or all, the, all these imports sorry and they would import all these valuable goods and it was said that Solomon would bless them so much that he would give them more than they brought every single time and it was amazing and but these cedars of Lebanon they literally had to go get it and so it was um, it, it was a it was a very phenomenal way uh, that that this transposed because God's like hey this ain't going to be easy but this is what it's got to be and so it says take their seed of wood and the hyssop and the scarlet material and cast it into the midst of the burning heifer then the priest shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in the water and afterwards come to the camp and the priest shall be unclean till evening the one who burns it also shall wash his clothes uh, and his body in the water and it shall be unclean till evening. Now a man who is clean shall be gathered up. Hang on. Now a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And the congregation of the sons of Israel shall keep it as water for the removal of impurity. It is purification of the sin. So what did they just do? They literally just made a baptism. They literally made a place through God's process and they said hey outside the camp make it sure it's clean make sure it's holy it's set apart and and this is what it's going to be used for so right here from the get-go God is already establishing a cleansing process that has to happen by his decree and that's what he's doing and 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 these priests they're they're doing this every day because you have to be ceremonial cleansed to work into the temple. It's just the way it was. It's the way God moved things. And so it, it talks about uh, one of the biggest things is, is touching dead bodies and, and being unclean, a woman on her cycle. And, and she would go through all these things. And, and they would uh, the priest would uh, dip the, um, um, the bush. What is the bush? Is it the... some kind of bush they would dip in the water and they would sprinkle it on them to, to cleanse them it was a cleansing process there's so much in Leviticus and numbers that it just your brain explodes man 
I mean, I, I, I fully understand it, but I'm not a rabbi, so I don't spend my every day. I have the New Testament now, so these guys live in the law. I mean, they, you know, uh, man, what is it? Um, over 4,000 4, verbal, you know, uh, commands. I mean, it's, just, it's insane. I don't want that type of burden on my life, you know. That's, imagine having a book and then another book and then another book and, you're expected to understand all that. Man, my brain would explode. So we have um, only four verses, but we see we see the symbolism already beginning to happen. And God allows this to happen, and it's a perpetual thing. That's what I love about it. It's not a one-time thing. God says, hey, get up and do it. When you mess up, do it. When something happens, do it. Cleanse yourself, make yourself holy, get back to me. He's always making a way to return. That state of redemption is always there. You never find God where there's never redemption. That's what I love about God because he loves. That is the thing here. He's always making redemption. And that's a beautiful thing about God because, man, he just loves us, man. That is, I'm telling you, there's so much love in God that it's just, it's hard to really comprehend how much he loves us. And he's always making redemption. Let's see. But we can get into wordage, and I don't want to bore you with that. I mean, we can, uh, but it, it'll get monotonous, and, and and we can jump around. But if you want those scriptures, I have them, um, if you want to get with me after this. But it's it's just the four words of only four times in the OT that, that we see the word mikvah. Um, we, we understand by, by Jewish tradition and Judaism, um, there's, there's things that they have added, uh, just like the seven steps. Um, some, some Jewish sects will be like, you're going to dip three times. So you go down seven, you dip three times, you come out seven. And so these, we understand these numbers mean things, and we, we see the symbology in those, those guys. And so it's very, God has is, is, is literally ordained it to be a way that, that we are always understanding how he works. And that, that's fun. I mean, I, I enjoy that side of God. And so, so what about the New Testament? So what about, what's our first interaction with, with um, baptism in the, in the New Testament? Y'all know this. What's our first interaction with baptism in the New Testament? Who starts that off? John the Baptist. Or it's in Greek, in Greek it says John the Baptizer. That's what his name was. John the Baptizer. He was known for baptizing people. So, and it is, they, and, and why, why did John baptize people? Did God say go out there and just start baptizing people? Well, in, in a way, yes. But what was he doing? John didn't do what? He was telling everybody to repent. But what is that repentance called? What were they? What was John automatically telling them to do? To repent and to be immersed. To be immersed. The mikvah literally means to be immersed. Totally remer- immersed into water. <clears throat> into living water at that. The water had to be a natural flow. It, ha- it could not be stopped up. It could not be stagnant water. So when you went under... Water flowed over you. And I love it because water flows 11% faster under than it does on top. And this is one of the quirky things I, I know. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so what is John doing? John is, is not creating something new. He's just fulfilling what has already been, been done for thousands of years. It has been somewhat changed because now we have 400 years between God hadn't done nothing and so the Jews are like we're going to do our own thing and so the rabbinical priesthood has started from what we know today as rabbinical Judaism um, really messed a lot of stuff up Um, I I don't have a month to go into it it's it's that much Um, when, when I started studying that years ago, man, I just wanted to really just cry 
because it just, I'm like, man, I did not know that. And, and, and maybe we'll get into that one day. Um, maybe we'll just summarize that and, and go over that. So we see John the baptizer. So John now is calling to for repentance from a, a, a vision from God. And we understand John was just called and said, you know, God wants you to do this. He goes out there and he lives on locusts and honey. All right. That sounds amazing, right? Locusts and honey. All right. Well, we're not talking about a bug. We're talking about a locust tree. A locust tree is literally what they make chocolate from, from the carob tree as well. I have some of it in my home. Um, but, yeah, the carob tree, they would take it and they'd, they'd press the sweets out of the leaves and they would make chocolate from that. And so he literally, honey and chocolate, that's pretty dang horrible. <laughs> I mean, dang, I mean, John May had had a, I don't know, uh, he could have been healthy out there. Uh, so uh, it, it could have been a bug. I'm not saying it wasn't a bug. There were a lot of locusts, but locusts dipped in honey, ants, it, it's all pretty good. I mean, honey's honey. Uh, God said the land is flowing milk and honey, so we know there's honey there. Um, we know there's locusts there. I've been there too. So it could have been a mix. I mean, uh, and it could have been a, just a, um, what do you call it, idiotism, uh, just a saying, you know. It, it could have been. I mean, it, I, I doubt that was the only two things he ever ate. I mean, that's just, it's definitely. Um, so we have John the Baptist. So John the Baptist gets called right off the bat, the beginning of the Gospels. And what does the Gospels mean? It's the good news. What does it mean? Somebody was here two weeks ago, right? The announcement of the king. The amount, yes, right. The royal decree of the announcement of the new king. That's what the gospel literally means. And so he is preaching the gospel, and he don't even know it yet. He don't even know it. And what does he have the honor to do? He gets to baptize the gospel. He gets to start something off that's so new they don't even know what they're doing yet. Jesus is walking into something that he don't fully understand yet because he come as a man. I, I, I believe that with all of my heart that Jesus had just followed the, the, the Father just like we do. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't have asked why. He wouldn't have had questions. He wouldn't have had concerns. We don't have concerns if we know the end, Right? We don't, we don't fear death because we know the end. But Jesus did. Jesus had a, had a fear. He had a disconnection there. And so that's the thing. Jesus was very man. I mean, he, he, he just was. He had great discernment. Sure, we see so many times messing with the Pharisees that, that he called them out right there. But you and me have discernment also. And we know when we're in a crowd of people, we know what they're thinking. Their mannerisms, their facial expressions, all these things tell the tale. And you know what it is. And, and Jesus knew, knew it too. He knew it by being, being around them, being in the same synagogues, sitting there as a little kid, understanding them, listening to them. Listening to the, sometimes you, you got to listen to the junk. And I see Jesus sitting over going, mm. is it my turn? You know, <laughs> can, I, can I put this on the straight and narrow now? I really could. I could really see Jesus being like, oh, man, that's, that's bad. You know, especially as a young boy, and that's why he left his, his mom and his dad and went back to the temple and was like, hey, I got questions. I, I want to know what's going on. You know, maybe why are you saying this or you really don't know who the Father is. You know, if you did, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be saying this. So we have, let's get back on track. So we have John the Baptist in, 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 in uh, Matthew 3, and let's read 6. I think I got that right. And they were baptizing, or, or and they were baptizing, being baptized by him in the Jordan River, as they confessed their sins. Now I love this, and I think this is what we get wrong today. And I don't want to get on a soapbox or anything, but all throughout the New Testament, and, and we're going to hit some of these places because I don't want to get too far off. And so. Let's go to Acts 18 and 25. 
So this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being only acquitted only through the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So what has happened? Um, a Jew named Apollos knew God. And he knew the scriptures. But he only knew the baptism of John. That's all he knew. So what happened? He said he, 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 he knew everything about it. He was speaking and teaching and, and all these things, and he, and he did it accurately. And that's the key there. Knowing accurately what the truth is. I've been only doing this for 20 years, and I make really sure what I teach is definitely on point. And I don't take what I do lightly. I shuck it down to the cob where there's no spider webs and nothing else to be had. I want to know that I know what I know, and then I pray about it. And if I still feel uncomfortable, I'll fast and seek God and see what else he says. Um, sometimes I, I get to study it at home, and, it, man, it'll be, oh, a long time before I let up. I mean, sometimes days. And I'm, I'm, I Honestly, I won't sleep. I'll stay up all night long for days, and my body will be hurting. Uh, but I, I, I'm a guy that just seeks after the truth. I want to know the truth about it. And that truth comes with a cost. It, it does. It comes with a price. It comes with, you know, spending hours in, in the Word. And, and, and like uh, uh, Kevin was saying Sunday, he said, you know, you open up your iPhone and go to the, the apps that tell you how, many, how much time you spend on each of them and see, see which one is is highlighted up there at the top. And I was thinking to myself, so I was like, yes, mine is the highest. And I was, you know, I have the, my several Bible software. I have four, and I'm just like, yeah, look at there, look at there. <laughs> you know, so I take pride in that. I really do. And, it, I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I don't take pride in, you know, how I look or anything like that. I mean, I ain't dressing like a hobo, but I'm not, you know, I, at the end of the day, that's not where my satisfaction comes from. That's not what fills me. And what fills me is heaven. And so that's why I take my time, and that's where I, I do my things, and it's just made me who I am. And so it's just it's just good. And so where did where was I going? Man, I rabbit trail. So uh was that? Apollos. Yeah, so yeah, Apollos was uh, preaching and teaching, but he only knew the baptism of John. Uh but it wasn't a bad thing. He knew that repentance led him back to the Father. But he only understood the Judaism way to do it. That's all he knew. But all of a sudden, Priscilla and Aquila says, let me pull you to the side. Let me, I know, thank you, Lord. Let me, let me teach you what this truly means. And so they pull him to the side, and they said, listen, what is, what is this baptism of John that you know about? We, now we have a baptism in Christ through his blood that we have redemption power. And so now he is, they are preaching Christ to him uh, because it, it says, you know, on down, uh, it says, and when they, they demonstrated by the scripture demonstrating by the scripture that Jesus was the Christ because all of them were still looking for a Messiah they still do today they do the same thing every year especially at Yom Kippur the day of atonement they 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 look for and beg Hosanna for a for a for a Christ for a Savior for a Messiah and one of their rituals especially before uh, Yom Kippur is mikvahot. they they go and they immerse themselves they want to separate themselves. They're preparing themselves for the day of the Lord. That's what they're doing. They're getting prepared. Um, and so this is what happens. So let's go to Acts chapter 10. I love this.
So Cornelius, man. And that was a man named Cornelius. Um, there's a man at, let me get off of this. I'll read it in a version that's, sorry. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Our cohort is a gathering. It's about a battalion of people. Uh, battalion is somewhere around 500 people. Um, a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continuously to God. About the ninth hour, which is about 3 o'clock, he saw clearly a vision. An angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have been ascended as a memorial before God. And whoa, we can go into that thing. And now send men to Joppa, or Jaffa. Jaffa is, uh, if you look at Tel Aviv, everybody understand where Tel Aviv is, kind of? So you have Jerusalem, you have big Israel that runs kind of vertical. You have Jerusalem kind of in the middle. Uh, Tel Aviv is where the airport is. Then you have uh, Caesarea, which is about 62 kilometers straight to the north. So 62 kilometers, you can probably get there on a horse in a day. So not, not too shabby. Um, so Joppa, bring him to Simon, who is called Peter. Uh, he, is, he is lodging with one Simon, a Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Uh, so that also confirms that Caesarea is right there by the sea. Um, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, uh, a devout soldier from among those attended to him, and having related, r relayed everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Um, so they sent them south. All right. The next day they were on the journey approaching the city, and Peter went up to the top of his household at the sixth hour. Um, so if nine was at three, this would be around lunchtime. Um, uh, uh, so the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat but while they, they were preparing it, so he wasn't by himself, he fell into a trance. He saw that the heavens opened up and something like, the, like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds in the air, and there were a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again the second time, What God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. This happened three times. There's that three again. And the things that were taken up, and, and the things was taken up at once to heaven. While Peter was inwardly perplexed at to what the vision that he had seemed... Um, but behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry from Simon's house, so they literally walked into town and was like, hey, where's Simon the Tanner at? Um, because he was pretty well known. Uh, it stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said to them, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who, was, who, was, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be guests. The next day he rose and went, to, went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and all the close friends. Very important. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I am a man too. And he talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered. 
And he said to them, You yourselves know you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to to visit any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person uncommon or unclean. All right. So let's go on down. So now he's separating him. And this is the this is a big move. This is a big move for all New Testament. Because what just happened? He took a Roman centurion and he validated him before his whole family. Before now, before everybody that went with with uh, Peter. Now we, we understand who Peter is now. Book of Acts, Peter goes and he is tier number one. Now this is Peter justifying this man before God. This is not a little thing. This is huge. Because it's against the law for me to go into your home and tell you what's going on. That's why Jesus had it. And that lady, um, the um, Samaritan woman, and Jesus, she's like, hey, why are you talking to me? I mean, you don't do this. You're a Jew. I'm Samaritan. You see that? You see that pair of those parallels right there? Now there's a discord and Jesus says, hey, if you knew who I was, you'd be coming to me. Now Peter is, is reconciling these people unto God. Because what has to happen for you to convert into Judaism? In the Old Testament, one thing had to happen immediately. Immersion. Baptism. When you confessed it, boom, in the water. In the mikvah you went. That right there is what separated you from every other thing. And I love that. I love that God right off the bat sets these people apart and says, you know what, I'm sending my top guy to a centurion, a well-known all among the Jews, all among the Romans, is over 500 plus soldiers. And he's like, now you're part of the family because you're in Christ. And he sit there and he preached the gospel to him. That is God's redemption. That is so awesome. And he preaches baptism to him right off the bat. Let's see here. It goes preaching the good news. Um, let's skip down. Yep. And so let's start at 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea because he was part of it. He knew what was going on. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that, that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth through the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the evil, by the devil, and for God was with him. And we were witnesses of that. And he did both in the country of Judea, or, or in the country of Jews and all of Jerusalem. I think there's a reason why Jesus stayed in Israel because he knew what lied ahead he had to fulfill something that was there he couldn't go outside to fulfill it so yeah and so I, I don't want to get too crazy on that so they put him to death by hanging him on a tree but God raised him from the dead on the, uh, raised him from the dead on the third day and he made him appear not to all people but to those who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone believing in him should receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. I still yet to see where baptism is part of salvation many people 
think it is. I do not. Is baptism part of salvation? Yes. Is it critical? No. Why is that? Well, you have the thief on the cross. He wasn't baptized. What else do we have? We have, um, say somebody you're preaching the gospel to on an airplane, and they repent, they weep, they cry, they get back before God. Y'all don't make it home. Is he saved? Well, sure he's saved. He's born again. Now his first steps should be to be baptized. This is what happens. This is what we miss today. Is we make converts where we should be making disciples. We want to grab these people, dunk them until the bubbles slow down, and then bring them back up. <laughs> you know, there's some people that I have baptized in the past where I'm like, man, maybe I should hold you down a little longer just to make sure, you know, get that old uh, scrub board like great-grandma used to use and get that tub and scrub them up a little bit. Um, I saw a baptism one time where a dude took an ash pocket, like a pill, put it in these things, so he went under the water, it turned black, and everybody's like, wah! You know, it was a joke, but it was a good joke. Uh, I've always wanted to do that. Uh, the last time I was baptized was in, was in Israel, I think, in the River Jordan. Um, but yeah, I mean, God is always making a way, a way in the redemptive power, but that's the thing we miss. It's, it's you know, people come in here and they, they, they commit their lives to the Lord, and then it may be months or years or, or something like that before you're baptized. No, God wants it now. He, he identifies in the scripture that when you get born again, it is a now time. It is not time to wait. It is a time to act. Your faith is an action, just like it was in Abraham. He said, hey, I'm going to credit to you as righteousness. You're doing right by what you do. By what you do is by what you believe. Because your actions have produced faith. You don't do things without believing them. You walk out in the street blindfolded. That's going to take a little bit of faith. But I can believe on this side of the road that I won't get hit. But is that truly believing? No. That's staying on the safe side. If you truly believe, close your eyes and walk out there. I was studying years ago with a rabbi guy I know. And we were looking up uh, words. And, 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 a, and a, a thing come across that says, Faith is a literal action to almost close your eyes and fall back as, as you're going to be caught. It's almost like that, that, that test. It was a, it, what do you call that? Um, the test fall. Yes, the test fall. Trust fall, trust fall. Yeah, same thing. Test, because it, it is a test. And I've done that with my kids before. And so it's a, it's a, it's a trust fall. And so you're literally trusting your life in Christ. And so that is a, a good parallel. But sometimes we just, we just miss it. I mean, we miss the, um, the meaning of, of why it is so important. Uh, because what, why do we do it in the first place? Well, one, it's a commandment. I mean, you read the Great Commission. Hey, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them. And the Father... Son, Holy Spirit, right? We're baptizing these guys. We're smashing them under. Why? It's because when they go under, you can't live there. When you're in the world, you can't live there. You do not have life in the world. It will kill you. And so will being held under that water. Jesus knew that. God designed it that way. If I hold you in this world, you're going to die. So what do you got to do? You got to come out. You got to be born again. You got to be lifted up into life. And he says, hey, I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the living water. He is all these things right there into one. Boom. And he's showing you these things. It is literally being washed and immersed in the blood of Jesus. We read in 1 John 1, 7. Um, I want to read that right fast because it's good. One and seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, the, with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I love that. When we walk in a way, we walk in a way of light. We walk in his blood. Baptism is only the start of the way. It should not be a year later, three years later, 
when you commit your life to Christ, just as it, we read in scriptures and we study, the way God made it, if to become a, a Jew from an out nation, you had to say all these things, and then you had to be immersed right off the bat. What did John do? Hey, he preached repentance. Hey, guess what? Be baptized right here, right now. What do we find in, in Acts um, chapter 2? That the, the disciples were preaching the gospel, and there were thousands of people that were added to the number that day. Guess what they were doing for the next couple of days? Dunking people. Badoom, badoom. Imagine having to baptize, was it 4,000 people? 5,000 people. 5,000 people right off the bat. That's a lot of dunking. When you only have 12, 13, 12 people at the time in Acts chapter 2, um, you, that, that's a lot of. Um, yeah, let's read that. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to them and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter says, Hey, guess what? Repent and be baptized for every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Boom. Was there a question in their mind? No. They went to baptizing. They went to laying on hands. They went to healing the sick. They did it right then. It was, there was no space whatsoever. It was an immediate, immediate response to the faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I love. There was no hesitation of it. It happened. They, these things, they're like brothers. You don't separate them. Yes, ma'am. You know how they carry royalty, like in the. Um, yeah, there was only like a little bit of water, but when he heard when he heard the good news, he was so excited. He wanted to do it right then right. and there. He jumped off, and he just wanted it to happen. And, right. And that is so cool. That sounds about right. Right. Um, I know the story. I'm having a hard time. He said right here, and he goes right here, right now. Oh, yeah, right here. Why, why not? Like urgent. Why urgent. wait? It should be an urgent request. Yeah. Because these things, they 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 go together. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Why separate them? It shouldn't. But we miss that today. We miss that urgency. It's like, oh, I said a prayer. Or sometimes get they, after it. You feel like you. Right. And there's all sorts of reasons why, but I never really thought of it that way, that how urgent it really is. It really is. No because it, 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 what it means, what it represents, it's, it's a, um, it, it, it is a very outward um, symbol to everybody else. I mean, God says, hey, don't be ashamed to do it. Don't be ashamed of me. And if you are, we're in a bad place. Because those who get born again, there should be no hesitation in being, wanting to, to do things for Christ. I know I was. I was wide open for Jesus. I mean, wide open. So wide open, people didn't like me. And it was bad. I mean, it was, it was bad. So, yeah? I was uh, wondering, wasn't the urgency to be baptized, though, also had to do with an outward expression uh, for somebody who was Jewish to accept the Messiah? But then doing it in the physical, the act in the physical, and act of the blessings in the spirit, and without doing that, then there would be no baptism of the Holy Spirit right then and there. No. No. Um, there, there is an instance uh, where um, somebody does get baptized, and without being, somebody does get filled with the Holy Spirit without being baptized. Um, and I want to find that because that is a good, a good, that's not Cornelius. Um, let's see. Let me see if I can find that right fast. 
I want to find that. Yes, there. Um, I was just reading that today, actually. Um, I want to know where that's at now. Hebrews. Yes. That wasn't the Ethiopian, right? That was the Ethiopian. That's what I thought. I just wasn't. I wasn't going to throw it out there. Um, let's see. A eunuch, yeah. Um, man, I want to find this scripture now. Um, the the um, they got filled by the by the, with the Holy Spirit. Was it Cornelius that, that that happened? I'll have to somebody scroll through Acts chapter ten and see if they do. If they, I think they do get filled with the uh, with the Holy Spirit. Bef- Acts chapter ten is Cornelius' visit. It's the right. Right, it, and it is. It is. It is. They did it so others will know this is what I'm all about, because it was a big deal to them. It was a big deal to to get immersed and 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 to to be part of the way. Is what they called it back then. Um, and so, yes, you're right. I mean, it's it's dead on on that that first sign was to be baptized. It was to get with it, and so that's what that was. And so we, we read, we have, we have multiple different baptisms. We have the baptism of Moses. You have the baptism of John, John into repentance. You have the baptism of Jesus, and you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you have four there at minimum. Uh, and then if you read, um, oh, what is it? Um, it's in Mark. I think it's Mark 3 where, where he baptizes John. Yeah, Mark 3 where it talks about baptism, baptism baptizing John, baptizing Jesus, and he says, hey, one's going to come, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so those are two different things. Those are two different things. I have, yes ma'am. No, go ahead. There you go. Anyways, I was just thinking when when you get baptized, it's like out with the old, in with the new. That's right. Kind of like with with the wine skin, like you can't put uh, new wine into an old that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being baptized opens up your faith unto God. It literally is a symbolic meaning of, hey, it's time to get busy. I mean business. And it's what this would do. But we miss the, the power in that today. It's like it's an outward expression of its go time. That's what we need. When I teach my kids on baptism. And, and, and my oldest is, is 14, and she has, still hasn't been baptized yet. I have one more question. Okay. Can, can we baptize? Can anybody Absolutely. baptize somebody? Absolutely. I have baptized people all over this place. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I've been in services where people didn't even know me and be like, you're baptizing everybody here today. And I'm like, Okay, let's go. You know, and it's it's just, it's, a, it's not for the guy that's baptizing. It's for the people that is getting baptized, because you're committing your life to Christ. That's nothing to do who's dipping you. Nothing. <laughs> and so, go ahead. Yeah. So when you get baptized, how? I mean, like some people. They wonder, like, well, when am I going to get the Holy Ghost? Does it right. come right away? Does it come later? How, how do you know that? The Bible talks in many places about seeking God. It, it is, sure, it's a gift, and it's always available. Uh, but one thing I was told a long time ago, because you trust God don't mean God trusts you. And He knows when you're ready for the Holy Spirit. And He says, hey... Jesus says, hey, I'll sum up all the laws and the prophets. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and I'll fill everything else. I know when I got baptized, I felt like I went underwater for like 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is all about seeking God. Yeah, uh, when I got born again, I was smuggling drugs out of Mexico. Yeah, and God spoke to me. Never been to church in my life. It said like an Easter or something. And I did not know. I didn't understand God. I was just living in the world, 20 years old, and I was just all in the world. And God spoke to me. He said, heaven and hell is real. Pick one. And I got born again. I realized God at that moment was real. And I had, it was my job to go find him. And so I sought God with everything I had. And then nothing was going to stop me. Not a single thing. And it was weeks before I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and in those weeks, I went to 80-something church services, and I got born again in every single one of them. I said every prayer. Every time they called somebody down, this old boy weeping and crying, to the front we go. I was running. Ah! I wanted to make sure that thing stuck. I did. Yeah, absolutely you can. And that's what I was going to cover. No, no, no. It's, it's good. I'm glad you brought it up. Go ahead, brother. You had a question? It can, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so many people, and especially in the, in, the, in the New Testament times, especially today, not in New Testament times, New Testament believers knew how the importance of it was to be baptized. Many times when people were getting baptized, they jumped right in there with them because they wanted everybody to know. When they went out to the riverside or the Jordan or these mikvahs, man, they were, everybody was in it because it was like, we're all one big family. A lot, man, every, every time. I mean, they would just jump right in. Why, why is it that, that I'd be like, well, I've been baptized. People are going to think I'm just now born again. No, that's called pride. You need to come down here and deal with that. Don't be afraid to show your expression that you love heaven. That's where it's at. If you think that somebody's going to look down on you, then let them think. Because it's only one thing that I want to do in my life, and that's please heaven. So it don't matter what you think. I don't care. I'm that guy. I've been baptized multiple times in my life, and if God says, hey, go boy, jump in that water, I am not afraid. And I'll do it in front of anybody. And I'll do it over and over again. Yes, ma'am. So I have a question. Did Christ, he did set the example, mm -hmm. but was it an, an example of what to do, or was it something that he had to do, like a fulfillment that he had to well, do? Well, it was fulfillment of Scripture. But he, he is fulfilling things that he had start from the beginning. He says, this is how it's done. This is what this is representing. As though you go underwater, I'm going to be in the grave. As though you, you die to me, you rise in Christ. Paul says, I die daily. This is, he, Paul wakes up and has a mental baptism every day. These disciples wake up and be like, hey, I die to myself and I rise in Christ. These priests that wake up in the morning and go and get mikvah and then go into the temple, that's what we do. We die to ourselves so we can walk in Christ. Right. And we do this by submitting to one another and walking in the Spirit. And that's, that's what it's all about. It's absolutely. Um, that's what it's all about. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty it. It's a little five after seven. Uh, so, bless y'all. And uh, I think we're good, man. So...